1: The dream of everybody is to think about get rich quick. I think we'd all like to buy that lottery ticket that wins, but millions of other people are buying lottery tickets too. It's better to think about investing as a journey where sometimes you're going to make a little money, sometimes you're going to lose a little money, but if you're invested for the long haul and if you've given it some thought, it should be where you slowly over time grow a pot of money as opposed to double it or triple it overnight.
2: Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. My guest today has reinvented herself a number of times. With a math degree from MIT to Wall Street trader at J.P. Morgan, to entrepreneur, author, board member and Oxford University Associate Fellow, Terry Dewan's career path has been non-linear, non-traditional and an inspiration to many women and minorities who have learnt about forging a path in an industry that's been dominated by the pale and the male. Hello, Terry. Hi, hey Phil, how are you? Really good, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope to get a few insights from you and especially about a couple of aspects of your career. So can we just go back a little bit in time? When you were working at J.P. Morgan, I know this is a uh, podcast for beginners, but you were working with what were quite exotic derivatives. Can you kind of just give us a brief overview of what they were like for people who are just um, have got a, not a lot of experience in the share market and the stock market?
1: Yeah. So because finance, a lot of finance is about vocabulary. And what is true is that many people get nervous about new words and new vocabulary and feel a little uncomfortable. But, you know, derivatives are their contracts. They're agreements between two people to make payments or receive payments based on certain events that happen on other financial instruments. So, for example, you know, if a stock price moves in a certain direction or moves a certain amount in a certain period of time, one person will make a payment to another person kind of thing. That's probably the most basic example. Um, and, of course, you described that I worked on much more exotic and so that they can get more complex. You can put packages of derivatives together or you can add certain things to the agreement about the payments that need to be made that make the events that have to occur slightly more complicated. But ultimately, the basic premise still exists, which is generally about an agreement between two entities that one makes a payment to the other or or they make payments to each other based on different events occurring in the marketplace.
2: And when we were speaking previously, you were telling me that you were dealing with risk and managing risk. Now, during the time of the global financial crisis, the whole of the risk process seemed to go into a state of failure. Um, Was that what it was like at the time?
1: So first off, I was a a trader on Mm -hmm. Wall Street. And I talk about myself as a risk manager because when I was hired at J.P. Morgan in the early 90s, My title wasn't actually trader, although in many other firms it would have been trader. My title was really risk manager. My job as a trader was to manage the risk that flowed through my books, you know, the risk that I had to take on behalf of clients or on behalf of the bank. In fact, I was quite curious as to who these other people were that called themselves traders. My job was risk manager. (laughs) And so I initially I thought that maybe we had different roles And I think there is a lot in a title because I think when you tell someone your job is to manage risk, that's what you do. When you tell someone your job is to trade, that's different from managing risk. So words do matter. What's fair to say is that risk evolves over time and that we think we understand it and we think we understand how it's behaved in the past, but markets, people, behavior, Those things evolve over time. And so even if we might have understood it in the past, we may not understand it today.
2: Managing risk is not an exact science, really, is it?
1: No, it's not an exact science. But I think what we do is we learn as much as we can from the past. You know, we try to make decisions about risk that are informed, but we always know that we haven't mitigated all of the risk and any investing of any sort is a risky activity, full stop. And you're always looking at balancing the risk you take with the return that you want to make. And you know that risk-return relationship will always exist. So the bigger the return, the more risk you will be taking, the less the return, the less risk you'll be taking. And as long as you understand that every investment decision comes with risk and you understand how much risk that might be, then you're making informed decisions. It doesn't mean you won't lose money in the future, but it means you have a better understanding of how much money you could lose.
2: Considering the size and power of Wall Street, what do beginners need to be aware of? Uh, when they approach investing?
1: I think this this idea of every investment decision comes with risk. And, you know, initial investors need to be thinking, not just how much risk might I be taking when I invest in this particular product, but how much risk am I prepared to take when I invest in this particular product? And, you know, there needs to be some discipline around that, which is, I've got this much money to invest, how much risk should I take on this money? And that amount of risk that you're prepared to take will have a correlation to the amount of return that you can make. So it's about understanding your own risk tolerances, as well as having a good understanding about what a sensible return might be. And there are no get-rich-quick schemes that exist. And, you know, investing as an individual really needs to be thought of as a long-term plan. You know, it's not going to turn your fortunes around overnight.
2: I think a lot of people get disappointed when they hear that because a lot of people, when they get first started in the stock market, they think, oh, I've heard about, a particular stock which has gone absolutely crazy and I'm going to make a lot of money like one of my friends did or someone that I heard about on the news. And you can almost hear their shoulders slumping when you tell them the reality that it's actually this long-term goal that is going to mitigate the risks and guarantee much more chance of success.
1: I think that's a great way to put it, which is you know, if you think about the big successes that we've all heard about of individual stocks that have just, you know, shot up and made two times, three times, 10 times, you know, the original investment. Those are individual success stories in a sea of thousands. And I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of different investment opportunities. And being at the right time at the right place, you know, if you're able to do that, you're incredibly lucky more than anything that's been luck and you know even if you look at some of these huge upward spirals of some stocks if you look at the chart of that stock from inception what you'll find is that the first 10 years <laughs> that business was growing the stock went nowhere and then you hear about it because it suddenly did hit its success point But there were numbers of investors who sat in that stock for years and years, and it didn't go anywhere. And so I think it's a dream of everybody's to think about get rich quick. I think we'd all like to you know, buy that lottery ticket that wins. But the fact of the matter is, millions of other people are buying lottery tickets too. So it's better to think about investing as a journey, where sometimes you're going to make a little money, sometimes you're going to lose a little money. But if you're invested for the long haul, and if you've given it some thought, it should be an experience where you slowly over time grow a pot of money as opposed to double it or triple it overnight.
2: And people need to realise that we've got the best and brightest minds who've had lots of education, lots of training, who've got fantastic tools at their disposal and access to these companies. Everyone is trying to get an edge, and even these kind of people find it hard to make an edge that's going to outdo the market. So I think people really need a reality check about what's within their capabilities to achieve with investments.
1: Yeah, look, nobody can predict the future, full stop. Some people may be more informed than others about what's happening inside a company or what the strategy looks like or what the cash flows look like, or they may have done more analysis. They may have done more research. They may have access to different information than you have, but they still can't predict the future. Again, it goes back to how much risk are you willing to take? And that kind of gives you a sense of how much return you should be expecting. And absolutely, we have to be reasonable and thoughtful about it but the truth is that everybody should be thinking about this because you know we all get old and we all eventually retire and we all need a pot of money to live on in retirement so the younger you start the better off you are and the bigger your little pot of money starts to grow into a reasonable pot of money
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: You talk about risk and the tolerance for risk and understanding that there is some risk involved in this. I feel, need to go through a process of learning about themselves as well, because no one's going to know what it's like when you've got your, you know, the money that you've been saving and accumulating for a long period of time, then suddenly there's a market shock. And that's the time when a lot of people sell and people need to understand themselves how they're going to um, deal with a situation like that, do you think?
1: Absolutely. The discipline around investing is incredibly important. You know, the fact is that the psychology of investing, you know, it's fundamental. It's human nature. Everybody's making money in that one stock. So you want to get in. And by the time you've heard about it, it may be at the high. So you may buy it at the highest it's ever going to be, at the most expensive it's ever going to be. Whereas you hear everybody's getting out of that stock so you get out too and again you may be selling at the low and the behavior of crowds is the concept you know another way of talking about it is the hot potato you don't want to be the last one holding it but you know if you think about putting a framework and a little bit of discipline around your investing you know if you're looking at doing something over a long period of time so you're young and you you're thinking i want to build up a pot either i don't know maybe you're thinking about retirement maybe you're thinking about building up a pot of money to support yourself because you want to become an entrepreneur at some point you know you need a little pot of money to rely on during that period Wh- whatever you're doing it for you're not going to get rich quick so it needs to be a slightly longer term thought process and you know, one way to think about it is investing through the cycle. You know, markets go up and markets go down. On the whole, though, if you look at them over a long period of time, markets generally slowly over time go up, but they have big peaks and they have big troughs, even in that longer term trend of moving upward. And so one way to think about more long term investing is you invest through the cycle. So you buy when the market's a bit low, you buy when the market's a bit high, you you know you consistently put more money to work over time. If you're lucky enough to be able to identify a low or identify a high, that's great, but being able to identify those points is incredibly tough even for the most sophisticated of investors. You know, I remember in March 2009 after the financial crisis where the markets were as low as they had ever been, and felt like they had just fallen and fallen and fallen. And in the months before that, people were saying, oh, you know, it's going to bounce back, it's going to bounce back, it's going to bounce back. And in March, February and March of our 09, even people who had, who had held their positions were starting to worry that this wasn't the bottom, and it was only going to get worse. And Being able to say that this is a low or this is a high in the midst of the rest of the market waving their arms and shouting either in excitement or in panic is a pretty tough thing to do, even for experienced investors, which is why for more long term personal investing, a lot of people talk about investing through the cycle. You just slowly put money into the market over time. And you're not trying to pick lows, you're not trying to pick peaks or highs, you're just taking advantage of the long term trend.
2: And if you look at a chart of uh, any market and um, you zoom out far enough, things like the global financial crisis basically disappear, and all you can see is this trend that's always going up.
1: Yeah, and look, there are many people who might debate that and might say, actually, you know, there's a longer cycle that we should be considering. And, you know, maybe it won't always go up. And any one stock certainly doesn't always just go up. So that's why we start talking about the concept of diversification, right? When you talk about risk and reward, you know, one way just to think about investing in the market is to invest in a basket of stocks or an index of stocks rather than just one stock. Because if you invest in just one stock, you know, maybe it's Tesla, you know, Tesla's been really sexy, very exciting. But there's nothing to say that Tesla can't go bust at some point in the future, right? And that you can't lose your money if you invest in Tesla. That is entirely possible at some point in the future. And so you reduce that risk by investing in two stocks, right? So you say, well, look, I'll invest in Tesla and I'll invest in Apple. So one might go bust but both of them going bust at the same time slightly less likely and you extend that to a third stock and a fourth stock and a fifth stock and eventually you have a basket of stocks where some go up some go down some may go bust but ultimately what you're exposed to is the market moving ever upward and where as you say if you zoom out some of those, you know, the peaks and troughs are less visible than the general trend
2: of growth. So what's the role of asset classes in managing risk?
1: Well, in the same way that you talk about adding individual stocks to a portfolio in order to diversify your risk away from just being exposed to one particular stock, we think about investing in different asset classes as a way of diversifying our exposure to different markets, to different asset classes. So, for example, equities, which are stocks or shares, behaves one way. And fixed income, which is you know bonds, debt, behaves another way. And generally, not always, but generally, they behave differently. So the equity market might go up, the bond market might go down. Sometimes the equity market goes up and the bond market goes up. Sometimes the equity market goes down and the bond market goes down, but the longer term trend about those relationships is that, you know, equity market might go up, bond market might go down. The longer term trend is that they slightly cancel each other out. And so one way to think about your portfolio of investments is in the same way that you think about not just investing in one stock, but investing in many stocks, because they won't all behave exactly the same you might invest in multiple asset classes as you get comfortable because they won't all behave the same way. In one hand, you might say, okay, I'm going to put some of my money in equities, and then I might put some of my money in debt, in, in treasury bonds or government bonds of some sort. Or I might put some of my money in gold. That's another asset class, commodities. Or I might put some of my money in property. That's another asset class. And the idea being that the more you diversify, the less risky your overall portfolio is, because some things might go down, but other things might go up to counter that. And so it's always a question of how much risk you're willing to take, how much you're prepared to being exposed to just one asset class, how volatile or how risky that one asset class is, and how comfortable you are personally with it. And of course, your comfort and your risk tolerance as an individual may change over time as well.
2: Well, that brings me to the point about uh, that formula, about um, how you should change the balancing of your risk via your asset classes according to your age. What's the formula that you've got? It's 100 minus your age?
1: Yeah, it's 100 minus your age. It's a well-known starting point in the world of personal investing, which is that when you're young, the majority of the money you have you can take more risk with it because you're young, you have many years to work, you have many years to earn, you have many more years to put money aside. And as you get older, you should be thinking about taking slightly less and less risk because you have less years to work, you have less years to set money aside. So the rule of thumb is 100 minus your age. So when you're 20, 100 minus your age is 80. That means that 80% of your investments could be in riskier assets and 20% can be in safer assets or asset classes. And as you get older, you slowly shift the amount of money that you have in risky assets and you put them into less risky assets. And the broad way to think about that is equities versus fixed income. Equities is considered to be more risky as a result more return. Risk and return go hand in hand. So equities are more risky, but they have more return. Fixed income, less risky, but less return. So what many people do is they say, okay, the rule of thumb is 100 minus your age is what you should put into equities. And your age is what you should put into fixed income. And slowly over time, you grow a portfolio by having the majority of it in equities And then you slowly over time shift from equities into fixed income. And then by the time you're ready to retire, you have a pool of money that's generating an income for you to retire. So that pool of money is safer, but it is generating an income that you can live on. And that income in fixed income is in the form of coupons, whereas in the equity market, you don't always get an income when you invest in stocks because not all stocks pay dividends.
2: Yeah, but that's just growth, isn't it? It's just uh, growth that they're looking out for.
1: Yeah. The more risky stocks don't pay dividends because they're growing. They're growth stocks. The more mature stocks who have less growth are paying dividends because they're not always growing. They're more mature businesses. So generally, when you think about putting your money into the stock market, for many people, and of course, this depends on jurisdiction, it's very different, the, the UK stock market versus the US stock market, for example. But you know, generally in the US, we think about the stock market as growth and less dividend paying. So you're looking for growth, you're looking for risk when you look for growth. Whereas fixed income, a government, the US government has borrowed money, and against that borrowing, they're paying coupons. So if you own U.S. Treasuries, for example, you, you receive coupons, maybe monthly, maybe quarterly. It depends on what the frequency is, but you are receiving an income on your pool of money. Whereas in many cases, if you just have your money sitting in stocks, in order to get some income out of your stock portfolio, if you're not getting enough dividends, you might have to sell some of your stocks, in which case you're exposed to what level you're selling your stocks at. And of course, you know markets can go up, they can go down. So that's the rule of thumb. Now, does it necessarily mean that it's exactly what you should do? Absolutely not. It is a rule of thumb. It's a starting point. It kind of gives you a framework on how to think about your risk and how to think about your age and what you're trying to achieve. But it's a good framework. I think it's a simple framework. It's one we can all understand and appreciate and work around, tailor it to your own specific circumstance.
2: Let's talk about some people who traditionally, not that they're locked out of markets and out of investment, but they don't, they haven't naturally moved into it. And um, I noticed from the podcast and doing this podcast, it's very much a male interest. You know, the most of the people listening to this podcast are male, not women. What are some of the things you say to women and also people from other cultures and minorities that um, mightn't be embracing investment the way that they should be?
1: You know, it's a funny thing. There is an unconscious bias, as far as I can tell, in most cultures and across most countries and most societies. There's an unconscious bias that women aren't good with numbers. And when you think about finance, you think about numbers. And so many women will be discouraged, either consciously or unconsciously, from entering into a space that looks analytical, that has to do with numbers. Because They've somehow either internalized or been specifically told, that they're not naturally very good with numbers. Now, of course, as a mathematician myself and being in the world of finance, I find that, I find that particular bias particularly offensive, um, and it makes me incredibly irritated. And the truth is I have a math degree from MIT. I'm highly analytical. And yet the most math I've ever done on the trading floor was a bit of multiplication and understanding finance the most extreme it gets is a little bit of multiplication maybe a little bit of algebra tiny amounts of algebra The, the truth is that there are models there are tools that exist for anybody to get their head around the numbers you don't actually have to do the calculations yourself and even the most complex of derivatives that i traded there was always someone else much smarter than me, thank goodness, who built a model for me to use. And if you can do multiplication, you owe it to yourself to become financially independent. Full stop, no matter who you are. Do not see finance as a world that's only for people who are mathematicians are good at numbers. We're all good enough at numbers to invest our own money. I encourage people, if you're uncomfortable, you need education, get advisors to think about it. But financial independence is incredibly important, and everybody should have that as their goal. And do not be intimidated by how technical or analytical the world of finance is. If you can do multiplication, you should be targeting financial independence.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Intimidation is the key word in what you're saying. Some people feel intimidated by it. I was um, having dinner last night with my niece and nephew, and my, I'm sitting there with my nephew, and he's asking, what's an option? What's a future? What's an ETF? And I was explaining to him. Then I realized my niece is sitting right next to me, and I said, well, you should be interested in this as well. And she hadn't even been listening to what we were going on. But at least now that there are tools for young people, micro-investing apps where people can start from a very young age, putting the money away. The money gets put into ETFs and their investing is basically looked after for them. And they, they can take next steps with advisors, robo-advisors, start learning things, but the tools are there and available for people right now.
1: Absolutely, they are. And you know, I don't want to give the impression at all that this is an area where you can go into without doing a bit of research and getting a bit of education. And in some cases having support or advice. It is a world full of lingo. It is a world full of different opportunities. They all look and smell and feel a little bit different and need to be thought through. And everybody's personal circumstances is unique and different. And this is not something to do without thought, without a bit of research, and maybe in many cases without tools or advice. But my point is simply that it is the barriers to entry have been removed in many many cases and that intimidation factor of finance is really complex i think you know we need to bat the fog away and admit that you know it's not as complex as it sounds and if you can do multiplication you can follow the numbers and you can understand it Everybody has a responsibility to themselves to be financially independent as much as they can, and understanding this and putting a little effort into it is important.
2: Terry, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been a great pleasure talking to you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm delighted that you are putting out as much education and information for people to help them on this journey. It's an important
2: one. It is. It's very important, yeah. Start young, everybody. Start young. (laughs) Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production out of Garlic Breath Studio. Music flows when the money don't.